0: Life's good! Never off! Whoa! Hard! Hard Hardly Come on, Brent. Life's good! Got real close. hair high, right? Trying to hit two-thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Poo! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott Knott alongside, as usual, he's off finishing his screenplay. It's an inspirational, nearly true story of a young basketball prospect who keeps fouling out of games at the college level and then becomes an undrafted free agent in the NBA and turns into a superstar because of the sixth foul. He's not fouling out anymore. So look out for it in 2025. New Line Cinema is going to present, What do you mean? That's six fouls? Even though Scott's not here, got a great show for you today with the Scotties, the Brier coming up, of course, the world Championships after that. And like last year, there is going to be a lot of gambling on these events with legalized gambling coming to Canada, especially where we are here in Ontario. We have been inundated with gambling advertisements, and gambling is becoming legal in states, individual states across the country down there as well. So just this real rush of sports gambling going on. And we've talked about it on the show before, what this means for curling, both the enjoyments of the sport in terms of even just the ads that are constantly there, the sponsorship. We saw Points Bet make a deal with Curling Canada. A lot of the teams have deals with Cool Bet. So while that does bring in some additional revenue, does it have an impact on the enjoyment of the game for the fans, both positively for those who enjoy gambling, get engaged that way, and negatively, those who don't really enjoy it at all? So what is the impact of that? And of course, our fears that curling might be vulnerable to point shaving, those types of scandals that we have seen in other sports. So we reached out to Matthew Hall. Former world junior champion who is now an odds maker with CoolBet. And we wanted to talk to him about the process of making odds, what goes into it, the mathematical formulas behind it, the amount of money that gets moved on curling, what are the guardrails, the protections that are in place. Just really a, a full discussion of the impact that gambling has had and is having on curling as we get set for this big time of year, not only here with curling in Canada, but around the world as we lead into those two world championships in about a month from now. So we're really pleased that Matthew made the time to join us. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you will as well. So let's get right to my chat with Matthew Hall. All right. And Matthew Hall joins me now. Matthew, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? Doing pretty well, thank you. Uh, very excited that you're here. I think you're the second world champion that we've had on. I think. <laughs> oh well, Jill I appreciate who, who, so.
1: Oh, Jill. Yeah. No. Uh, well, I appreciate. Uh, I think if I can be second uh, behind Jill in pretty much anything, I'll <laughs> take that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you on. So I think, as a lot of listeners know, you Canadian and world junior champion back in 2019. You also won the U-Sport in 2020. So you have national championships. You are a high-level player, but you're not here to talk about your on-ice experience. We're here to talk about gambling because you are now somebody who sets odds with CoolBet. What is your full exact title with CoolBet? So
1: I'm a bookmaking consultant and odds compiler is, is part of the the title as well. Essentially what my job is with the company is to assist them or provide them with betting odds on North American sports. Now, obviously my specialty just with my background happens to fall into curling, but I also assist their team with working on any sport related to, you know, a North American consumer base. So that's, baseball, football, uh, hockey, whatever
0: else they need me for. How much of your time, say, is on curling? Like this time of year, obviously, this is Super Bowl week. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of prop bets. If you're a prop bet person, Mm -hmm. it's not just who's going to win the game. And then you got like NCAA tournament coming up, baseball's coming back, uh, NBA's in full swing. And then you have these big curling events. So how much of your time is devoted to the curling side?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not in no ways is it a nine to five job. And and I think in some ways that's what makes it a lot of fun. In some ways it's very stressful. Uh, this is a very busy time of the year. Yeah. Uh, we actually, you, you got me on the podcast at the perfect time. I just finished up putting some odds on the Alberta provincials and I have a little bit of a lull here, but um, it depends on the time of year. Of course, this time of year we have, we're finishing up the provincials going into the Scotties and the briar sometimes, you know, I'm pulling 80, 100 hour weeks kind of thing, being online, monitoring the lines that I'm putting out, monitoring the money that's coming in, uh, all the sort of nitty gritty that goes into the job. Um, And it depends, depending on the time of year, obviously in the curling off season, I sort of transition a bit more to assisting with, the other sports all year round. So most of the summer, that'll be baseball. Uh, the curling season ends. There's NBA playoffs, um, and we just continue that through until essentially the NFL starts. Yeah, this this being Super Bowl week, of course, as well. I'm sort of splitting my focus a little bit between the two. We got about I think 400, 500 different bets that you can put on for the Super Bowl. So watching all of those, it's it's a pretty hectic time of the year, but. You know, you just you, you trudge through it one day at a time and uh, you try and make it to the end.
0: Yeah. Take tails, everybody, if you're doing a Super yeah. Bowl prop bet. <laughs> I like tails this year. I just heard that it's four of the last five have been heads. So I like tails. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so there are, there's obviously a lot that goes into it. And as you say, sports is always happening somewhere. So there's stuff to bet on and, and people want to bet. But before we get into some of the specifics of, of curling, your background is math. And for years and years and years, uh, you have been on Twitter trying to figure out like tiebreak procedures, mm-hmm. the draw shot challenge, figuring out going into draws, what teams would have to do in order to, to get ahead of the next team and, and all that. So for you, why is the mathematics side of sports so interesting and what draws you to that as opposed to other types of math? Because you've you studied math. Yeah. Like that's what your degree yeah. is in. So so the connection there to sports, what, what is the appeal for you? You know, I
1: I really think it's just sort of a mixture of two things that I've always been very passionate about. Obviously curling, you know, I had a, a good career when I was younger and I've sort of stepped back a little bit. Uh, uh, I'm retired, essentially, I like to say now. But I mean, it was something I was really passionate about and math is something that ever since I was in... You know, elementary school was always something that I excelled at, at, that I enjoyed doing. Um, So it was just a very natural sort of cohesion of the two sort of spheres of my life coming together. And it's sort of a bit of a rabbit hole, too. Like, you, you don't necessarily think about how can you actually apply math to certain sports when you're maybe in high school or university and you're just you start with that question. You don't really know where to go with that. But as you sort of just try new things and sort of start digging into it, you end up in this rabbit hole that there's so much that hasn't been done yet. And and the area of research there is so sort of uh, cloudy and unknown about what's going on. So it's incredibly exciting. And a lot of times you you try something and it just doesn't work. Uh, And you got to do that a lot till you find something that works. But I think you know, it ended up being something that I was just sort of fooling around with. And I was, as you said, I was posting some things on Twitter from the World Championships last year. And I actually got incredibly lucky. The person who brought me into the company, someone I had never met before, never interacted before, he somehow came across my tweets online and essentially just forwarded on to some of the higher-ups in the company. They liked sort of some of the numbers I was putting out, what I was trying to do, and they invited me to interview for the job here. So actually going through school, I, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I thought about doing my PhD. I thought about becoming a professor or maybe a high school math teacher, but this sort of job more or less sort of fell out in my lap out of nowhere just because of this cool, weird little project I was working on and you know it was one of those things that you just you can't really turn down right you're offered a job right out of university in sports and math something two things that I'm very passionate about and uh, you know I can say I've loved it ever since so I, I really don't see like a career change in my future I'm, I love what I'm doing it can be quite a challenge at times but it's an exciting challenge because it's something that I think it's I, I'm not aware of many people in the world who have attempted to actually create mathematical models in curling to predict curling events. I'm sure it's been done before, but to be sort of on the forefront of that and helping uh, you know, a company expand and sort of grab this new market by the horns and and sort of figure it out, it, it, it's incredibly exciting and something that, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to doing over the next At least few
0: years of my life so let's talk a little bit about what the strategy is and you can correct me if i'm wrong but i've always heard that the goal of odds making in a gambling context is not so much to forecast what is going to happen but Mm -hmm. rather to draw money relatively evenly so that the house is not vulnerable to significant losses and is that an accurate description of how odds are trying to be set in many ways yes i mean if you think about
1: putting uh odds on a curling match uh like let's say in in actuality it's 50 50 it's it's a complete coin flip we have maybe a dean playing botcher or something where if you imagine playing that match out a hundred times it's probably going to be pretty close to 50 50. So when you're compiling or when you're putting these sort of initial numbers together, you might start at sort of a 50-50 or two to one on both sides or slightly lower because the house takes an edge, obviously. Um, but perhaps because of, A, the market you're in, uh, of course, us in that example, us being in Canada, most of our market being in Canada, we can expect maybe a little bit more money coming in on botcher facing uh uh, team from another country something like that or just as you sort of see the money come in at the end of the day if you're confident in your model and your model predicts a 50-50 game yes you can just sort of keep the odds at a 50-50 game and never move them and you would imagine in the long long run that that would you know it would eventually all even out over hundreds or thousands of games the problem is we we want to sort of work on our or or generate an expected positive value for the company, but we also want to reduce our variance. And I think that's more so when it comes in, when you see a lot of money coming in on one side, you can essentially think of me as the book. I either win big or I lose big, right? right? Yeah. And and you can say, well, the expected value is the same in over hundreds of thousands of matches, That's should work out. But I don't really like seeing, well, I'd love I either win big or lose big. I'd rather say, well, I win either way. Right. Right. And if I can balance, so if a lot of money's coming in one way, those odds might drop a little bit. The other side might come up. Yes. And, General of the effort is to sort of balance the risk uh, as evenly as possible. Um, Because if you imagine that will reduce essentially the variance over, say, a set of five or 10 games to the point where we can expect to close in on that expected value much quicker. A little bit of math going on in there, but that's essentially the idea. Rather than either winning big and losing big and taking hundreds of matches for us to approach that expected number that we want. Uh, by balancing the risk on both sides, we're just able to approach it closer and, and reduce, reduce the amount of uh, hits or overall risk that we might take on certain matches.
0: Okay, so I'm not a math major by any means, <laughs> but I, I think, and again, we won't go too much into this upcoming Scotties, but I can safely guess, or I I think I could make the odds that uh, Carrie Anderson uh, will be heavily favored over Haley Bernie. I can't remember if they're in the same pool or not, right? Like, so like that game, I think anyone could set the odds, right? Like you Mm -hmm. look at it, Carrie Anderson is going to win 999 times out of a thousand, if not a thousand. And that's no slight on Haley Bernie. I'm sure she's a lovely person, but she's not at that level. So we, we can understand that. How much of it though is then in the middle of the pack where you get rid of those extremes, those teams that are of the 18 teams that are there, you know, from four to 10, say in those matchups, we're trying to to determine what their week long odds are game to game odds. How much does the math play into that versus the real obvious ones where, you know, anyone can kind of set it.
1: Yeah. and, And that's sort of the crux of the problem you know, that you talk about when we say, so looking at the Scotties, for example, coming up, when you look at maybe Northern Ontario and New Brunswick, so Krista McCarville and Andrea Kelly, two teams that, you know, are, are usually pretty good. Last year was obviously a great year for both of them winning bronze and silver. But when you look at sort of those two teams, it can be very difficult to come up with a number off the top of, of your head just sort of me thinking about it and I'm not even looking at my, my numbers or, or my model or anything, but I would imagine that probably Krista McCarvel is a bit of a favorite there. They've just had a longer story, more storied success, I would say at, at previous Scotties, but how much is the favorite, right? Is, are they 55%? Are they 60%? Are they 70%? Those can be big differences when we're talking about actually trying to pinpoint what that number would be. So Doing that can be quite difficult, especially for two teams like that who don't play each other all that often, right? They both operate sort of in their own spheres. Neither team really competes on the slams or or around the tour all that much. So when you try to put them together, it can be difficult. But... There's lots of literature out there um, that I've drawn on. There's lots of different ideas of how to create statistical models for sporting events in general that I've tried to transition into curling specifically. So there's ELO models, um, which if anyone's familiar with chess, they might be familiar with the elo system where everyone essentially has a strength rating there's other ways of doing it where you might talk about their scoring efficiency and then try and build a match predictor based on how often they score points and i've sort of my goal or or what i've been doing over the last say two years almost that i've been working for this company two seasons is taking all of those different ideas of models and sort of injecting them into my own and seeing what works for curling what doesn't work for curling um and you know sometimes you just get weird numbers that you don't really expect and then you have to sort of look in retrospect maybe at the end of the season how have i performed and there's a lot of analysis to it a lot of sort of really deep math stuff that i'm I'm not going to dive into all that much but at the highest level you know there's a lot out there and it's just the challenges applying it specifically to curling in ways that people haven't done before.
0: How much of it for you is predictive or the idea of it being predictive? Because one of the things that I get bothered by sometimes, and this is mostly in in baseball and they started to do this in football a little bit too, where like in baseball, they have the playoff odds or in football they have the likelihood to win. It's the fourth quarter and they flash it on the bottom. And I find those numbers not particularly helpful because if it's August 16th and you're nine games back in the division, mm-hmm. I don't really care what the odds are. I know you're not in good shape. And the, if you win the next day, the odds going from like a 4% chance of the playoffs to like a 6%. That doesn't really mean anything to me. And the same mm-hmm. thing in football, when they do that at the end of the game where they're like, Hey, this team is 90% to win the game. Cause they have the ball and they're up a touchdown with four minutes left. Like, I know that that's a good situation. You're going to win mostly in that case. So how much of what you're trying to do is in that vein in terms of like, I think those are intended or at least they're taken by the audience to be predictive in some way. Mm -hmm. But for you, because you're not necessarily trying to predict, you're trying to create a market. So how different is it from what we see as the public on those types of numbers versus what you're doing on the back end?
1: Yeah, I mean, anybody can sort of pull up. I'm sure there's databases out there for every sport, for every situation that a team may find themselves in. How often do they win? And those exist for curling as well. They're not necessarily difficult to find if you just go searching for them. But I mean, in, in a lot of ways, bookmaking is, uh, there's a lot of science to it, a lot of math. and And we create these models that come up with numbers. But I think you do especially in sort of a smaller market like curling, you have to sort of take everything with a grain of salt and you have to sort of use your own brain sometimes. You know, an example of that might be you're looking at the Grand Slams a couple weeks or the uh, two Grand Slams ago. I think Tiranzoni was 0-3 and essentially out after their first three games. And they might have been playing somebody who was on the cusp of playing, so you you get your number from the model, but then you have to ask yourself a lot of questions on top of that, like you know th- this team's already out. How is that gonna affect maybe how they come into the game? Maybe it's a team that you think will come in a bit more loose and actually play better when you know there's nothing really on the line, or maybe they'll just phone it in, toss in the towel, like take it easy and there's a lot of sort of manipulation that you have to do sometimes sometimes. You know, it's it's not an exact sign. Sometimes my model spits out a number for a game that I'm just like, no, that, that, <laughs> that can't possibly be true. I don't believe that. Uh, I don't think, you know, the people that are going to come in and make bets are going to believe that. And, you know, you, you have to sort of take things into your own hands sometimes. But, you know, I try to take all of those situations and if we get burned maybe on a situation like that where we lose money because the public either got lucky or thought things differently than we did, you, you try to learn from that. You try to find some way to maybe incorporate that in your model in the future. And it's constantly sort of a learning activity, which I think is why I love the job so much, why I'm so excited. It it mixes a lot of stuff, but you always are looking back at You know, if we lost money in a week, you look back and you're like, well, you know, was my model good? Was was I missing something? Maybe we just had a bad week. Maybe just results went against us. That happens all the time on both sides. Uh, But you sort of have to sort of tweak and change things little by little until hopefully you're becoming better and better uh, day by day kind of thing.
0: So you mentioned that the volume is relatively small and again, Super Bowl week, whatever it's, I'm sure over a billion dollars around the world gets bet. I I would assume Mm -hmm. that a billion is a minimum, I, I would think. What kind of money are we talking about roughly for slams and I would assume Briar Scotties generate the most in the course of the calendar year? But roughly speaking, are we talking about volumes that like, if CoolBet has a, a bad week at the Scotties, like, the company shuts down? <laughs> or, like, are we talking pretty pretty low compared to other sports? I,
1: I mean, I say – when I say small market, um, obviously, you know, I work a lot with the big ones, the NBA, the NFL, that kind of thing. The numbers we're seeing on the Super Bowl uh, – you know, the curling is basically a drop in the bucket (laughs) Uh, at that point. It's really not that big, but I mean, there is, you know, this isn't an insignificant uh, evolution that we're seeing to the game. Um, When looking at sort of curling and I can talk a little bit um, sort of at the high level of what kind of, you know, money is being moved in curling specifically when you look at say, the last season, so start of last season, so September 2021 to now, um, we're probably looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.5 million in bets. So that's bets yep. coming in to us that we've taken, that we've written tickets on. And, you know, that I'm, we're just one book. I don't know specifically what the other bookmakers are seeing. I know we've done a lot of work in trying to capture as much of the market as share as we can. But, you know, that's just our one number. There's a lot of other books out there. Sports Interaction, Pinnacle, points PointsBet uh, is trying to move into the market w- with their partnership with Curling Canada and all that. Uh, so you know, I think it's, it's not the point I'm trying to say is it's not necessarily an insignificant amount of money and the market is there and people are interested and we're generating a good amount of, uh, revenue coming in, uh, at least. And then, you know, and we were obviously gifted a little bit last year, uh, when we look at say, Last year, we had the Scotties, the Briar. Like you said, those were the big ones. We had the Olympic trials, mm-hmm. which was big for us. So each of those events in of itself, I mean, the Scotties and the, Bri- the, the Briar and the trials last year, we were looking at maybe a quarter million dollars apiece just for like one week. Um, and then the Scotties last year, we were probably maybe around $1. Hundred fifty thousand, two hundred thousand in that range. Um, plus all the slams on top of that, plus all the other maybe bigger tour events that we cover throughout the year. The world championships were similar last year. We're we're looking at maybe another three hundred thousand on those as, as well in turnover coming in. So it's you know, it's not an insignificant amount of money that's happening. And I think that it goes to show that yes, it's big changes for the sport, but I think it's something that people overall are interested in, whether, you know, they try it, they give it one or two tries and decide it's not for them. That's fine. But the, the state, the stability is there uh, from what we've seen in the last season, season and a half of, of these numbers coming in uh, in terms of that people are sticking around. People are, you know, wagering on multiple of, Events uh, back to back that they're they're returning whether or not they win or lose to continue doing it. So so yeah, the interest is there. And like I said, when we talk about yeah, this is the Super Bowl week. This is what we're seeing this week on our provincials is it's in terms of the company as a whole. It's you know a drop in the bucket. I'm much more uh, interested in or hoping for certain things to go our way for the Super Bowl. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's there and we still. You know, I'm working on it full time and, you know, that goes to show that there's the interest there. They wouldn't have me working 100 hour weeks, 80 hour weeks on this stuff if it wasn't uh, garnering that amount of interest. So,
0: And what is the balance again? Don't you don't obviously give away any trade secrets Mm -hmm. or anything, but in terms of bets so that you can bet at the start of the week, the winner, then you can bet individual Mm -hmm. games. What is the split there? Is, is it people generally going for the individual games Do people like the week-long? Or is it kind of balanced across all the bets?
1: Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I'm not entirely sure what the split... I mean, I can... I would say it, it's much more weighted towards the, the games itself. I think there's a good number of uh, people that come in on you know the the turnover in the matches like if i say look at the last men's slam i'm just pulling it up here it it, most of the stuff is heavily weighted towards the matches maybe 80 20 85 15 kind of thing i think a lot of people like to sort of come in and and put maybe a bet down or one or two bets on on an outright uh for someone to win an event and then sort of they'll put multiple bets throughout the week say on on different matches that they like to see or or but they'll hold on to say that one ticket so i think it is heavily weighted towards individual matches but that changes a little bit when we come into something that's a lot bigger like the scotties the briar a lot of people want those sort of longer term those those bigger payouts for example you know you can get rachel Holman to win a game maybe at at one and a half to one or minus 200 or whatever you want to call it. Um, But, or you could get her to win the whole event at three and a half or four to one, right? And and I think a lot of people are interested in say those slightly bigger numbers. But
0: yeah, it's much more weighted towards the games. So you mentioned the amount of roughly a million and a half and that's obviously with CoolBet. So if you look around, there's other companies, as you say. So the total that's being wagered in the past 18 months is more than 1.5 million in uh, in Canada or in Ontario. (laughs) So there is the question, Scott and I have talked about this before about the guardrails that are in place because curling is a sport in which the players are not compensated as fabulously as other sports. Let's say that, Uh, you know, that from firsthand experience that there's not a lot of money for the players and We've seen it in other sports in the past, uh, particularly in college sports. There's been a a lot of point shaving issues. And this is an issue in curling that might be even more heightened based on the fact that you can concede in curling. There's Mm -hmm. ways in which you can potentially manipulate things. So what are the guardrails that are in place for the sport to ensure that we don't see any type of a, a scandal akin to point shaving scandals that we've seen in other sports.
1: Yeah. You know, this is a question that I get a lot and, and I think it's a fair concern for a lot of people, especially, you know, the curling market is there's been betting on curling for years. I I mean, some books have covered the Briar, the Scotties in the past, but the proliferation of it that we've seen maybe in the last two years, last 18 months, um, has been extreme compared to two years prior. So I think a lot of people are getting exposed. A lot of people in the sport maybe are getting exposed to wagering for the first time or or getting into it for the first time. So I think these concerns are, are definitely valid. Uh, What I will say is that there's a lot of, and and I can really only speak to what we do at our book and, and what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis but a big part of my job is ensuring that the game is fair that uh that the at least from the betting side the wagering uh of matches is fair you know when I when I I'm doing my job I sit here I see every bet that comes in to our book on curling or and I take time usually once a week to go back and review uh who's betting on what i I have access to say like customer names from profiles that kind of thing so i can see say if somebody came in and tried to bet on their own game or you know against themselves i'd be able to see their name what they're betting on that kind of thing so that's a big part of it that i'm sort of always assessing is this you know is something fishy is there is there something weird going on here what I want to sort of uh, distinguish, though, is there is nothing wrong with a team conceding early. I, I get this question a lot as a as an odds maker. How do you sort of uh, account for the fact that a team can concede early? And the real sort of answer to that is is I don't. Right? Like when you look at sort of total score, for example, the distribution of scores in curling. When somebody concedes early, it's usually because it's a blowout, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that just sort of over time, when we're talking about those big blowouts, they're sort of just either it was expected, right? Either a team might just be a heavy favorite and that's fine. It was expected to be a blowout. There's nothing really going on there. And sometimes it's a 50-50 matchup and it's a bit... You know, it's just a statistical blip on the radar, you could say. That, you know, if they played a bunch of times, you wouldn't necessarily expect that to happen uh, every time. But in terms of what we do in order to uh, ensure that, I think that goes as- along with our work that we do with curling organizations, especially as we move forward. So when you see things like you know the points bet uh, partnership that they now have with curling canada i'm sure there's things going on in the background of both of those sides so we have the information where you know we can say these people are betting on this or betting on that um, and maybe if something questionable happens like if a team say concedes down one or something really weird like that then maybe we could raise those questions with the organizations themselves and we can maybe do some kind of probe to get to the bottom of it but at the end of the day we haven't really seen i haven't seen i should say anything along the lines of questionable content yet uh where teams are sort of conceding in really weird situations where it doesn't make sense that kind of thing and you know it's not like I, would, I can say for our book, the amount of risk that we're seeing on a lot of these matches, most of the matches we're covering are the larger matchups. So, you know, the the Grand Slam, the Scotties, the Briar, a lot of these teams I don't think would necessarily risk, you know, what could happen to them if they did say cheat or or tried to shave points if it was found out they were doing that with the amount of risk that we're actually seeing uh come in on these matches i mean we talk about you know one and a half million dollars you spread that out over you know hundreds of customers maybe thousands of customers across the entirety of the 18 months those chunks sort of come down quite a bit so i I can say that we have not had any sort of issues. There are, you know, some small things that come up. We have rules in the company as well where people aren't allowed to bet on events that they are competing in. Um, so, if for completely off, the, you know, if I was playing in a Grand Slam, for example, in a men's Grand Slam, I wouldn't be able to bet on any men's Grand Slam for that event. So that's one of the rules that we have in place and. You know, we've run into issues of, you know, people, you know, putting some money on themselves kind of thing, uh, where we've had to immediately, if I see that I cancel the bet, we contact the customer, we explain the issue to them. And every time, from that point on, it's been a non-factor. And I, I don't necessarily, I don't believe that there's been any sort of, you know, malice meant towards that. I think this is just you know, like I said, the proliferation of betting in sports and there's a lot of people who maybe they're coming up to it for its time, don't know what they can and can't do. I'm also aware of, you know, I think Curling Canada has implemented uh, essentially courses that all of the top teams have to take about match fixing, about the consequences of match fixing. So, um, you know, the the information's out there and it's a process and we're working on both sides of that to inform people of what is and what isn't allowed and what to be careful of and what the consequences are. So I, I don't think necessarily at this moment it's something, well, it's always something that we're worried about. I don't think it's necessarily an issue that I think people have to be uh, concerned about on a widespread scale and if we notice that there's issues here and there we immediately log them I, I've already made logs I have logs of maybe dozens or of issue of, of potential things that I like to keep track of but there's no systematic or continued issues that have re- reoccurred or popped up uh, it's just you know if something pops up, it might be something I look into or keep track of in the future, but nothing on my end has really any cause for concern at the moment on, on that side of what people might be concerned about.
0: Well, I, if someone's going to do something with malice, I, if they're dumb enough to do it under their real name and, and not have mm-hmm. a friend do it for them, then they deserve to get caught and yeah called out. Who knows if like, if organized crime knows that curling happens, like who knows, right? So I I think that's part of the concern too, uh, that there's outside forces that could potentially get to a player. Uh, The other thing though, that, and that's obviously criminal, and that goes beyond the scope of of what we would be talking about here. The other thing though, is sometimes, and I've seen this happen, scores just get made up at the end. So, you know, an example is the Continental Cup in Vegas when John Morris made the shot to win. They didn't finish the other two games that were on the ice that night. And I was sitting on the media bench and a TSN guy came up to the official and said, we need a final score. And mm-hmm. the official was like, I don't know. And they they literally just made it up on the spot. Uh, the final scores of the other two games and the final score of that event. So if you go look at the... Wikipedia entry for that Continental Cup there's a final score but the two games didn't finish and sometimes it happens where the last team throws the the stone the the skips rocks in the 10th end and they're trying a Hail Mary type shot to score stuff ends up in the house people just kick stuff away like what about in situations like like that where it's not necessarily malice it's just the culture of the game is well, right. we didn't win. Let's kick them off. Like, wh- how do you manage those scenarios? So, that's something that I,
1: you know, that's something that has been an issue, I will say, from time to time, you know, especially even at like levels like the Grand Slam. Sometimes, you know, what is actually written in the rule book is not necessarily what ends up on the on on the official score on the website or yeah. what they put on the broadcast might differ from what's actually on the website so i i know from a bookmaking perspective i have sort of taken you know when i notice those issues happening if there's a way for me to contact you know someone who's in charge i, I do have you know just from the time that i'm playing i obviously know you know jerry gertz who works with curling zone he has contacts with the grand slams like there's other people that i've come in contact with where i have in the past like they put something online and i say well that's not right and i sort of go through those contacts try and talk people try and get to the bottom of it um a lot of games are being live streamed now uh so you can actually go back and look at a game if there's a dispute say from a customer Really, what what we have to go on most of the time is just what is posted. Like, what is the official score that is posted, Right. right? But a lot of times with new live streaming, if, say, a customer comes in and disputes that, we can go back and look at what was the actual situation at the end, what would have happened. Sometimes it's just two rocks are so close together, they kick them off. There's no way of knowing, and you have to go with the official score. But If that's available, we can go back and look at it and and make a determination uh, on our end because we want to make sure that everything is done fairly. And whether or not something is posted online doesn't necessarily, as you said, mean that that's what actually happened. So if it's something that we can verify, we will absolutely go back and verify if there's sort of a concern or, or any sort of issue that crops up on that end. I know at the top level and I've spoken to umpires, to people who are sort of in charge, I guess, if you want to say that, of that sort of aspect of the game. Um, they have been trained, or at least the the processes in place to start to train these uh, individuals, as well as inform the players that when there's betting the final score matters <laughs> right you can't just say okay we win they lose which you know most people bet on win or lose anyways uh but there are spreads there are totals so whether you win by 6 to 4 or 7 to 4 that might actually matter so i know some umpires from what i've heard are being trained that when a game ends to not kick off the rocks if there's a measurement And they were doing this at the Olympics, I believe, too, where there was actually games where there were rocks that didn't matter in the scope of who won. But if it's close in the 10th end, you know, it might matter whether a team wins by one or two. So they were actually measuring rocks uh, if they were close enough after the final end to actually put up an accurate score. And I think it's a bit it is a learning curve. Um, We're still going to see mistakes. We will I know if I will from our company's perspective, we will attempt to rectify any mistakes that are made if that's possible if if a concern is brought up to us. Um, but there's still some holes. There's events where there's not streaming and and there's definitely I can understand, you know, you there might be, Uh, sort of concerns of maybe somebody is there watching an event, but there's no like live streaming and they know what happened, but what's posted maybe online or on the official score might say something different, but we do everything in our power that everything that we can do uh, to try to rectify or, or try to avoid those errors. And we've been pushing the information to umpires, to curling organizations, to players, especially to make sure that those final ends are counted properly.
0: Yeah, I'll say I, I would be really bad at this if I was playing in games where there was betting. There was a situation in the fall where the league I play in on Thursday nights, the tiebreaker is point differential. And mm-hmm. it was the last night of the draw and there was a three-way tie uh, that it turned out. And we threw our last one and it wasn't really close to being made. So halfway down the sheet, uh, I, I was in the house. I turned around and started shaking hands. I don't know what happened with that rock. And after the game, another team that ended up tied with us said, Hey, what was the final score? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> we just lost. And it'll depend on whatever they put into the system. And that was not a particularly satisfying response for the other team, yeah. but it, it's sort of this cultural thing where like, who, like, who cares, right? Like I, the game's over and the rock wasn't thrown hard enough that I had to watch it for any safety reason. So, and, and that's just kind of, where the sport is, or how I grew up in the sport, at least. So yeah, that'll be a bit of a change for teams moving forward, uh, definitely. And I, I do long for the day, though, and it's going to be hilarious when teams are or a team is jumping around. They've just won a Briar or a Scotty's a Worlds or an Olympic gold medal. They're jumping around, the crowd's going crazy, and the umpire's coming out to measure to see if they won by three or four points. Yeah. <laughs> like that. That'll be a great visual it yeah it
1: will happen at some point too i I can almost guarantee it. I think it also comes down to organizations themselves have to understand or have to think about these things in advance and have something in place, some sort of rule or or something written on the books where I don't know maybe if something is just indetermined it it's a wash or something like that whatever honestly like whatever the rules of the sport is. I, as a bookmaker, can adapt to that and can adjust my model or, or look at the distribution of scores maybe and adjust based on on whatever the changes. But just having those things in place and making sure that everyone understands what the rule is or
0: what needs to be done in certain situations. That's really the crux of it. Yeah, and just being consistent with whatever that mm-hmm. ends up being. So the last thing for me that we want to talk about, obviously you enjoy this. You enjoy the math side of it. You enjoy the sports side of it. And the, the gambling brings it all together. And gambling in Canada is new in mm-hmm. this way. Gambling in a lot of states uh, in the United States is new in, in this way. And we've seen a very distinct <laughs> proliferation of commercials. Dan O'Toole and Bet Rivers did their best to ruin the Olympics mm-hmm. Last yeah. year, uh, they really went all out to destroy everybody's love of the Olympics with those commercials every, uh, every commercial break. But I'm curious. I know for me, in terms of football, there seems to be, and maybe it's just the stuff I consume, like an overemphasis on covering the spread. Like people don't really talk about who wins the game as much as covering and the gambling implications. So that has kind of taken my enjoyment out of at least this football season away. I haven't enjoyed it as much with all the gambling talk, but other people find it more engaging to, even if they're not, don't have money on it. Certainly if you have money on it, you're very engaged in it. But if you don't, people like that side of it as well. And certainly fantasy comes into that. It's a form, I would argue that's a form of gambling. But for you, as somebody who's in it day to day, how has the introduction of gambling or the legalization of gambling in a more widespread format impacted your overall enjoyment of sports as a consumer?
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally understand, uh, you know, where you're coming from. There's a lot of, you know, commercials out there that every time it comes on, uh, you know you just want to like walk away for a little bit or (laughs) put it on mute or something and you know it's something that is an unfortunate byproduct of the fact of how new this is I don't think and you know I'm not a marketing guy I, I don't you know have the answers exactly but I don't think this would necessarily be something I think you know sports betting obviously I think is is here to stay it's i I don't think it's necessarily going anywhere and there will always be commercials on it i think necessarily the how much there is and and how aggressive it's been is simply just a byproduct of how quote-unquote new it is and i mean gambling on sports is not new but you know there's regulation i should say now Mm -hmm. um and people have to sort of abide by a lot operators like ourselves have to abide by a lot more rules now um in terms of doing this stuff and it's you know in a lot of ways it's a bit of the wild west out here with a lot of different books just you know you're trying to shove out everybody else you're you're just trying to get a strangle of as much of the market as you can right because with regulation now there's so many more different Books And there's so much more competition, which you could argue is, is a lot more of a good thing, right? You're seeing competition between regulated books rather than, you know, p- books operating sort of in a shadow or, or, or behind the scenes, uh, that kind of thing. But I think it's been so aggressive. And, and in a lot of ways, yes, as a consumer, it has been a bit annoying in some cases how much there is uh, out there. And I think that will... Uh, sort of wind itself back over time as sort of the market establishes itself and there's not so much of a marketing uh, push or marketing war um, between different books. Um, but yeah, you will always get pundits talking about what the odds are during a game or or what were books saying for one match or the other in football, what the spread is. That, won't, that part of it won't go away. Um, But necessarily how much marketing has been going on, especially when we look at, for example, Ontario, they began a regulated scheme in, I think it was April 1st of last year, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong. Um, But from day one, there were maybe, you know, close to a dozen operators who now it's basically a wide open market and you're just scrambling from to sort of grab as much of that market as you can and get people to come to you, right? And so there's that just sort of big amount of competition going on. Um, and that will that part of it, I think, will sort of tone itself back as things settle down and settle in over the next, I don't know how long it will be again. I'm not a business person. I'm not a marketing person.
0: Uh, yeah. But I think over time, it, that is what we will sort of see happen. But can you just sit, and watch a game like independent of the commercials, the ads and stuff like it, in a, whatever, two weeks from Sunday, mm-hmm. will you sit and watch the Scotties final and just watch it? Or are you always watching sports? And maybe this was like this before the job too, because you're have such a mathematical mind. Like, are you always in the mode of the odds or the models or, or is this playing out the way we expected, Or can you just step back and be Matthew curler curling fan and just watch the game and not be thinking about the other side
1: i i don't think i can ever go back honestly (laughs) i i think personally just like with the amount of time i'm putting into it and you know this is sort of my daily life now it's something i'm always thinking about when i'm watching games you know whether or not teams are performing above where they're expected or you know you know, upsets happen all the time, that kind of thing. But, you know, you always think about like, oh, well, that's maybe not what was supposed to happen. Or, you know, they're performing a lot better than I expected them to, that kind of thing. I can sort of sit back a little bit. I I think in some ways, just there's so much curling now. Um, and even sort of as a consumer, like myself, when we get to sort of these big events, you know, you, you're you get to say the Scotties, if the Scotties final is Rachel against Einerson, that's probably the best thing we want as fans of Canada, that those are the top two teams that have performed throughout the year. So I think that's sort of best case scenario. If you're curling Canada or even a consumer, you want Canada to have a good team, but this'll be like probably the 10th time that I've watched them play against each other this year between yeah. the grand slams. Uh, every event now is streamed. There's sometimes like three, four events in a weekend. When you think about starting in September and how much curling there is going on, there is a little bit of that quote-unquote burnout. That at least happens to me because I have to sort of stay on top of all of this, right? I don't necessarily have a, a choice in how much curling I, I'm ingesting. But it, it can be a little bit, yeah, like you you sort of step back and I have a very different perspective of watching games uh where i'm sort of always thinking about oh how much okay so that team took three how much would that change say the percentages or or the numbers or what would i do here and over the scotties and the briar and all the big kit championships i am doing live odds as well so when you know a team scores two or three if i'm working on that i will actually have to answer those questions so in a lot of ways when i do that when i'm not doing live betting it you know, it's just practice for me. But yeah, it, it, me personally, like when you when you get into any sort of career and you have to do something that's sort of along the same lines, but doesn't necessarily have to do with your job. I think you always sort of visualize it or or ingest it
0: a little bit differently than maybe you did before. So before you go, I mm-hmm. because it's Super Bowl week, I want to see if we can get curling prop bets. <laughs> like, I, I say, why not? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've never bet on curling. Maybe I would do a curling prop bet. So here's my suggestion for a curling prop bet. Just, okay. Let me get my pen. I'll yeah, just do uh, for this free. Down. Totally for free. Okay. The number of broom slams in the TV game at a briar and pick whatever game randomly versus mm-hmm. the number of times that Russ says the word gear. Oh oh shot that's that's
1: kinda well I think it depends on what game you're doing. If you're uh there's a couple hot heads at the Briar, I think you could actually get pretty close to a 50-50 there, but he does like to say gear a lot, a lot too. A so lot. yeah. I, I think I think overall that, that would probably be the favorite, but I'll look into that, I'll let you know. Um yes. I, I will say there's lots, uh I'll do a little plug here for my own company while you have me, but we do have lots of different prop bets as well on the Scotties and the Briar after this week, once the provincials are done. Um, But there's lots of, you know, things you can bet on, like will an eight ender be scored? How many blank ends will there be throughout the whole tournament? How many points will be scored throughout the whole tournament? We have a lot up there. Uh, I welcome you. If you're interested, go take a look. That's my little plug. Uh, Since you brought me up here, I'll, I'll take the moment, but uh yeah no we're always looking for different uh ideas of what people might be interested in so i will say if anybody else has a has a crazy thing that they want to see no guarantees that it will happen but if you give it to me I, i can look into seeing if that's even possible
0: I don't. I don't know if I like that you described that as crazy. That makes me think it might not happen. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know
1: if I like that. Let's no, talk about
0: <laughs> other things. A lot of other people
1: come up with crazy things, Sean. Not just. <laughs> all
0: right. So uh, we really appreciate you joining us. So go ahead, plug the company. Like I, I assume it's all app based, Coolbet, or or if people want to uh, bet with you guys, what how, how do most people do it? We do have an iOS app.
1: So if you have an, an Apple phone or, or Apple device, you should be able to get us on there. Uh, we're still working on developing something for the others, but you can always sort of, you know, just go search coolbet.ca. Um That'll take you right to our website. And from then, that'll take you to the sort of our front page. And from there you can filter yourself to whatever sport you want. Uh, go check out uh, what we're offering in curling and, We'd love for people to give it a try and and see if it's for them. And if it's not for them, that's fine. But uh, yeah, that's, that'll be my plug. Go check us out, go see what we're offering. We have probably the biggest, I would say almost absolutely the biggest crawling offering out of any book out there. So if it's something that interests you that you want to check out, come check us out uh, and we'd be happy to look into anything else that they, that people might want to see if they let us know. So.
0: And uh, be sure to follow along at Halls underscore Curls, excuse me, Hall underscore Curls 44. You can follow along with uh, everything that uh, Matthew's tweeting. What's the 44 for? Like, why did you pick 44? Uh, That was always my number.
1: So, I mean, numbers, you know, haven't always been a big thing in in curling. But when we did have numbers and I was growing up through juniors, uh, that was always my number. It was actually – it was both of my brothers' numbers as well when they played hockey, and the reason for it was it was my dad's number uh, when he he used to compete in drum corps, actually, so like yeah. m- marching band that kind of thing, um, and that's how he met my mom. And uh, so his core number when when they competed, he was forty four, and so me and my brothers we've always been forty four as well. So
0: very cool, very cool. So uh, follow along. It's a busy time coming up for you with all the biggest events on the curling cal- calendar still ahead of us. So enjoy the season of champions as it returns, as it continues. And uh, I'm sure you'll look forward to once the champions cup is done in May, because it's going to be it's ending in May, uh, which is, I think, far too late, but Hey, more curling to watch more curling to bet on. And you did say earlier, Matthew, too, that you are retired, but, you do have a nine o'clock game tonight, which kind of influenced when we're recording. So you're not like retired, retired.
1: Well, you, you know how curling works. You, you have to retire at least like four or five times before you're actually retired. So I yeah. guess you can say if you want to be more specific, I stepped away from the competitive side. But I still have about three more retirements to go before I'm actually uh, done. So if there's any teams out there, drop me a line. Uh, we'll, we'll see what we can work out.
0: Yeah, the, the multiple retirements in short succession. We call that the Mike Fournier around yeah uh, exactly around these yeah. Parts. So uh, it, it, enjoy your game tonight. Good luck and everybody follow along with everything Matthew's got going on. So Matthew Hall, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Sean.
1: Uh, once again, if you ever want to talk about big event, what the numbers are, what things are looking like, I'd be happy to come back. But uh, thanks for giving me the platform. Uh, I had a lot of fun chatting with you.
0: So there you have it, my chat with Matthew Hall. I thank him for his time. And again, if you are interested, this isn't a sponsored episode, but if you are interested, he is, of course, with CoolBet, as he mentioned. And of course, if you do gamble, do so responsibly. Play within your limits, as they say. So that will do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you have not yet, please do subscribe. Wherever you get your podcast. do likes, rates, comments, all that good stuff. Helps other people find the show, beats those algorithms. And you can, of course, follow along with everything we got going on at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter and Instagram. It's Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook. You can head on over to Game of All the past episodes are there. And if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show, Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So, Scott will be back next week as we talk about the Scotties field. We might also talk about an interesting moment that I had in one of my games where I sat eight, didn't score eight. But without the hammer, sat eight, and somehow, potentially, in this story, I come out maybe as a bit of a jerk. I don't know. Hard to tell. But it was uh, an interesting evening for that, so maybe we'll tell that story next week as we preview the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts. So hope you'll join us for that. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...